You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Welcome, friends, to the Speaking in Church podcast. Except today we are live from Wild Goose, um, which is a hippie Christian festival, as I like to call it, because I'm a hippie and it's faith based, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's live. We're recording live, and I'm a little nervous, as you can tell. Just kidding. I'm not nervous. Um, Spencer's not here because she has a baby, and well, you know, traveling with a baby sucks. So that's my co host. My friend is giving me a confused look. I'm just listening. Okay, my friend is Damon. I'm waiting to be introduced. That's really <laughs> okay, what I'm waiting okay, for. Okay, hi. So introduce just hear yourself. A random voice out of nowhere. Oh my god! Introduce yourself. Like, did someone just sneak in? I'm over you. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Damon. <laughs> what is your Damon name? Garcia? Uh, I just wrote a book called "The God Who Riots: Taking Back the Radical Jesus," and uh, yeah, I'm here to talk about it. I have a session later today. Also, the books are. For sale here, but they're not available everywhere else till August twenty third. Wait, really? Yeah. How? I think I I knew that. But yeah, I didn't I w- connect that. Oh, but they're selling them anyways. Yeah, yeah it's it's with uh, Broadleaf Books, and so Early. when I told them I was going to be at Wild Goose, and I was bummed that I wouldn't be able to have a book to give them, they said, "Oh yeah, we could send some," because that's how traditional publishing works. The yeah. those books just sit in a bunch of warehouses for a bit. Because you have to market it. It's like, yeah. anyways, that's a, that's another Josie field marketing. Oh yeah. You have to release it at a time where it's gonna sell a lot. You know, you gotta hype yeah. it up. You gotta. So they're not just sitting there. They're they're waiting. Yeah, but yeah, it feels good. People, uh, people are already getting it. It's a weird feeling. People I don't know are holding it. It's my first book ever. I mean, the title itself is pretty, pretty killer. I mean, that's like, that's a Josie book for sure. <laughs> I'm a little yeah. violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like the title. I like the title too. I had a, I had a video called "The God Who Riots." Initially, uh, when um, the George Floyd protests were happening, and then that night that they burned the third precinct down, I was watching a live stream of that and uh, doing a live stream myself. And so we're watching it together. And then I, when I saw that burning precinct and the people the protesters dancing in front of it i remember thinking like first off this is amazing as many people were thinking like it it seems like so unlikely that anything in these protests get any traction but it's like no this cannot be ignored so that was a huge deal but at the time since covid had started so many people were asking where is god in all this Mm. and when i saw that clip of protesters dancing in front of burning precinct i thought that's where god is that's exactly where yeah. god is and it also made me think of as i saw christians unsure if they should support the protests or not because of the rioting i was reminded of jesus who rioted in the temple mm. like flipping tables property destruction pouring out coins and driving out the animals that's looting yep and so it was, and so, yeah, then I made this video called The God Who Riots back then. And then later, yeah, I ended up 
um, Broadleaf hit me up about doing a book deal because of my YouTube channel. That's yeah, that's where I, I started. That's where I have a lot of my stuff on YouTube. Mm. Uh, just search Damon Garcia. And so they hit me up and I gave them a proposal and they said, give me some titles, which I hated doing because the book wasn't written yet. I yeah. feel like I, I'm good at doing titles after everything's done. And uh, well, I'm the opposite. I write based <laughs> on the title. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I don't know what it is yet unless it's mostly done. I mean, that's probably, yeah. that's probably the way to go. <laughs> but yeah, I gave them a bunch of crap titles and then they're like, what if you call it the God who riots? And I was thinking, oh yeah, that works too. Thanks. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Thanks for <laughs> Honestly, I have not read the book yet, obviously, because I have to go to the tent to buy it and it's not available anywhere else. Yeah, it's not even out. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the premise, the topic, the situation? Yeah. The the title is a reference to, like I said, Jesus going into the temple and it's a planned political demonstration that I think is very interesting. It wasn't a spontaneous act of mm. like anger. And that's the only time I would even hear it preached growing up in church, that story. It was rarely preached. I have uh, some friends that grew up in church. And when I told them I was writing this book, they said, I didn't know that. And then as I started going through the story, they're like, what? Jesus oh, did what? How convenient. And, but, but whenever I would hear the story, it was always framed as a message of, it's okay sometimes to have righteous anger. Because yeah. here's a story of yeah. Jesus having righteous anger. And then they would do a sermon about anger. It, it wouldn't be about what mm. Jesus was doing or saying. and But it was always definitely framed as a spontaneous thing. But it was was planned. They they knew exactly what to do. Especially when you see him like flipping over tables, pouring out coins. He's specifically putting a temporary hold on the activities going on outside the temple so that everyone is disrupted and has to pay attention yeah. to what he says. And the crowds are protecting him from getting mm -hmm. arrested. And so then Jesus says, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. Mm. But what I found really interesting was learning that a den of robbers isn't where people are robbed. A den of robbers is where robbers go and hide to hide from the yeah. consequences and of their actions. And so Jesus is essentially accusing the religious authorities of his day of turning, of using their the temple and their religion to hide and avoid the injustices going on in the world. Mm. And so I especially found that really relevant because we all know people today who claim to follow Jesus and also use their religion to hide and avoid the injustices in the world. Well, how many times do we hear like, Oh, well, in heaven it won't be that way. So just wait for heaven. Like, bitch, we're yeah. trying to do something about this now. Like, we don't want this to continue on now. And the church should be part of getting rid of this now, not yeah. waiting for heaven. There's also a lot of churches that just feel like, oh, yeah, we just do spiritual stuff. We won't get too political without realizing that is a political stance. Yeah. Like, that's that very, neutrality yeah. is very political. I'm sure that's very convenient for you, but I can't fucking do that. I mean, my whole existence is political. Yeah, exactly. I, I grew up in a, an evangelical church, and I, I tried really hard to make it work. Like, my when I started on this ministry journey and started studying and learning more, my theology had progressed beyond the boundaries that my denomination expected of me but i tried for years to just synthesize things and make it work as much as mm. i could because i didn't want to lose that community 
until eventually it just I couldn't make it work at all and I had to leave in 2017 and then I was finally able to be honest about everything but that earlier in that year 2017 I remember sitting with the associate pastors because I was a youth and young adults minister who was expected to bring youth and young adults to the church and I didn't feel comfortable inviting any of them to Sunday service Mm -hmm. so it was like why am I getting paid for this if I'm not doing what they want me to do and so but the reason was because so much was going on that year like Trump's ban on Muslim countries, Mm. women's marches, a lot of talk about trans rights. um, And we never talked about anything close to that uh, every Sunday. And so I felt like, why would I invite people to this like escapist space where we're not talking about anything that they're talking about? And so I had a meeting with uh, two of the assistant pastors and was sharing this and how I wish like we could talk about some of these other topics. And then one of them said, disagreed and said i don't think there's as many people thinking about all that stuff as you think there is and and the unfortunate truth is that that is that is the reality for the people they're trying to reach i'm sure exactly but for the people i was trying to bring to like the young adults group and the youth group and all that it's like yeah all my peers are talking about this yeah and so i can't invite them to something that well, that's the thing, right? It. Is that that church was thinking about their current, the current people sitting in the chairs, right? Because I'm sure there were no pews. They're sitting in the <laughs> chairs, and these are people that like the escapism. Yeah. And we don't want to change for you and your radical little friends. That's what they were thinking, really. <laughs> well, I knew there were people in there who cared too, but they just put up with it and said, "Well, I guess we're just going to pretend." That's what it felt like. Well, but, I mean, yeah. But it's like, I look at. I look at the Bible and that God is never neutral about anything. And Jesus is yeah. never neutral. Jesus chooses sides. Even Christians aren't neutral in any way. Like your yeah. religion has never been neutral. Mm-hmm. You just want to be quote unquote neutral now because you don't want to lose money. Yeah. And, ch- and choosing neutrality is to choose the status quo and that those who have the power and the privilege now mm-hmm. should keep it. They would deny it, like, oh, no, I don't think that. But by choosing to be neutral, that is the position you have. Yeah, you're upholding the systems that exist by doing nothing about them. Yeah. Whether you want to think that way or not. Yeah. So so eventually it's like, I'm sure a lot of people can relate with this, being in churches like that, I think at times it can feel like an escape. Like, I know they have some pretty messed up beliefs, but they don't talk about them all the time, so we could just get through it. But eventually you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually you can't. Yeah, I can't stand that about the way that people worship. I mean, I grew up Pentecostal, so I love me a good gospel song. I like, you know, a good vibe. Yeah, I grew up Pentecostal, too. I'm into it. Give me good music. But also... Good music has never been enough for me to stay at a church. Right. Like, people go to Hillsong because it's, like, a vibe. <laughs> it's a cute little party. And it's spot celebrities. I guess. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, I w- went to downtown LA the other day, which is rare because it's far. But <laughs> yeah. I went and there's, like, a Zoe church. Have you heard of Zoe church? Of course. Rich Wil- Wilkerson Jr.? Who? Or is- Oh, Chad Veach. Who's that? The pastor is Zoe, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, Chad Beach. There's the the I call them the four horsemen. Chris, Chris Pratt. Goes the four there. horsemen of white evangelicalism: <laughs> Rich Wilkerson Jr., Chad Beach, 
Judas Smith, and Carl Lentz was, Ooh, but he lost. But rip. But they're the ones who were like running Hollywood Christianity, yeah. and I felt I really thought Hollywood Carl Lentz was going to be the next Joel Osteen, like really? take that type of position. Honestly, I got, got I got creeper vibes from his face, but oh yeah, he's a creeper. But well, yeah, I don't but like Joel Osteen. That was in a positive comment. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, I, uh... did you know that Joel Osteen has this cube? That like you press it and it was like his voice comes on. It's like an inspiration cube. It's called. So he just gives oh, yeah. you a nice little message. Some people need that. But do you have a phone? Why do you need a cube? <laughs> like it's like a Rubik's cube looking thing. And you just why do you need a cube? This is not 1990. You have a phone. Make an app. I don't know. Whatever. It yeah. Was just, what, it, well, yeah. It was what happened to Zoe Tree? Oh, so what was I talking about? Went to Zoe. Oh yeah, it was just like this takeover of this beautiful, um, it's like a theater or whatever. Yeah. And all I thought was like, wow, the gentrifiers are really here. Like it really felt like a den of robbers because you had all these people sleeping on the streets outside, right? And it's a nicer part of LA. I mean, it's Grand Central Market is right there. It's like the old Art Deco place or whatever. But I just thought, wow. What is what are they doing about the homeless people sitting outside? Do they even let them in the church? Like, what is the situation here? And then you had people like passing out pamphlets, and it was so I always get so annoyed with people who are like, "Would you like a Christian newsletter?" I was like, "No, I don't. I'm I'm in L.A. Why do I want a Christian newsletter? I can't just stop and read this." Is it people on the streets? Yeah, just passing it out. Yeah, and they were also at Pride. That was really annoying. Oh yeah, that is annoying. We went to hell. I loved it. But anyways, um, we, Damon and I are staying with a bunch of friends in an Airbnb here at Wild Goose. So Damon has seen me very inebriated. Yeah, and I just met you. Yeah. So for all I know, this is just how you are, the way you act when you're inebriated. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. That's, it is how I am. But um, we were talking about, now that we're friends in the car, we were talking about how you feel uncredentialed oh yeah which is funny because you just published a book yeah. with the publisher and it's like i think this is pretty credentialed <laughs> and now you're like oh they approached me and i was like oh that's even more credentialed like you didn't go ask them to publish your book they're just like hey can you write a book for us yeah yeah so i don't have a mdiv i don't have a licensing ordination i don't uh but I don't have a degree in anything, no associates in anything. I did. I graduated high school, did some college classes that I thought were cool. But um, what did you major in, quote unquote, before you I, stopped going? Right after high school, I was majoring in film for a semester, and then I felt called into ministry and left that. And then I did, uh, like half a sort of half a semester. It was like four classes a year of Bible college at this ministry program I was in. But that. So it was like eight classes. Uh, it's like nothing close to getting anything. But I, uh, so I did a bit of that. And then after that program, I went back home and did, uh, I, I switched it to communications and or sociology and communications. That's what I was. So I went to a lot of those classes, which was really cool. Um, then, yeah, I just got really busy and couldn't do that. And, and like my, Heart wasn't in it. Like yeah. I really don't like school. Um, I like learning and reading, but you don't like being graded. <laughs> yeah, I don't like being graded or, or it's like here's here's the reading list that you have to read. Half of them are pretty cool. The other half are 
so boring and not yeah. relevant at all. And it's like, ah, it's hard. But yeah, so I, um, yeah, and I was going to get my license at the denomination I grew up in, which is kind of funny how it works there. It's like I have none of these credentials and they're just going to give me a license. What denomination is it? It was Foursquare. Oh, yeah. Foursquare doesn't give a shit. But a lot, yeah, a lot of evangelical denominations are like that. But and then I left, and at first I was thinking like, okay, now I'm gonna seek ordinations in another denomination. And then I started learning about how how it works in these mainline denominations. And like, yeah, you have to have a master's in something else, and a master's in theology, mm-hmm. and ten years of experience doing it. And it's like, whoa, that. And yeah. then it made me think like, yeah, I guess Foursquare really doesn't give a shit the fact that they were just gonna give me one. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I, I think. What 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 is needed is definitely somewhere between that. Oh probably. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like I wrote a book. Can I get a license? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you like it? Can I have it? Yeah. Do you like me? But yeah, it's hard because yeah, a lot of uh fellow authors, other people on Broadleaf, even a lot of podcasters, uh, do have an education and degrees. Not and, me. I mean I have a degree in photography. That. Does that yeah. count? Yeah, you got a degree. Yeah, no. but it, <laughs> I'm podcasting about church. I mean, that's like yeah. shit. So I guess. But yeah, it's so it's um, hard sometimes. But but I also feel like publishing has changed over time as less people are buying books, and really, I, I feel like feel the same like, amount uh, of people buy books. It's just either audio or digital as opposed to physical. Yeah, definitely a lot less physical. But I hope it's not as easy to sell books as it was before. And I think that's just because of the changing of media and stuff. But And I think the because oversaturated not oversaturated, it's a saturated market. Yeah. Lots definitely. of people it's easier to publish a book now, so more people are publishing yeah. books. But the so so because of that, I remember getting the book deal and feeling like, oh this is awesome. I've like reached this level where I can get a book deal from Broadleaf. But then over time I thought about it more and realize uh, there was one night i was really high and feeling really uh panicking about my <laughs> my lack of qualifications and then i realized oh wait i got this book deal because publishing is doing so bad right now that they're going down to no! the level of giving a youtuber oh a book deal God. and then i realized wait a second all you have to do now to get a book deal is have a lot of followers online how do you get a lot of followers by complaining a lot so the biggest complainers get a book deal which some of them need a book deal but some of them probably not and and then i sobered up and i was like the truth's probably somewhere in the middle we just met i i, I rose and they came down and we just met in the middle <laughs> oh my god well i'm curious so i actually love the education conversation a lot because when it comes to a church i will not go to a church where the pastor did not go to seminary yeah um and simply and this is why not because I care about your fucking piece of paper, but because I'm like, you have you been challenged by other people with opposing mm. beliefs? Have you been in that rigorous environment where you like present what you believe and then your professor's like, you're fucking wrong? Like, have you been challenged in any way on what you want to preach at the pulpit? But that's that. But when it comes to like the people that I where I read their books, I don't read Joel Osteen's books. I don't give a shit what Joel Osteen has to say. I don't really care what these pastors have to say. I feel like they're they're more relayers of the word as opposed to the philosophical thinkers behind new thoughts and knowledge and perspectives. 
Um, so I don't really care if the authors that I read have a degree or not. I care about whether or not I like the book. But I'm wondering, so we're in this democratized event. None of us get paid to be here. Allegedly, allegedly. I'm still going to figure that out. But anyway, I'm just like looking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any of you paid to be here? No? Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> you didn't get paid to be here. Great. It's still a great event. <laughs> but so how do you feel people perceive you without, like, do you think that people care? Do you think that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, I went to. In this event and in other spaces, I guess. I think it was 2017. I went and saw uh, Rob Bell talk about his book, What is the Bible? Did you go to college? Bookstore. Yeah, absolutely. But but when, and that was when I was like about to start my process of getting my license through Foursquare. Um, and then when I left uh, Foursquare, it was like, I was like in the middle of it. Um, but I was, I was like, I disagreed with, so much of Foursquare theology, but I was just going to try to make it work and I wasn't sure what to do. So I was asking a few people, um, what should I do? And so afterward, I talked to him a little bit and I asked Rob, I told Rob what, what I was doing and I said, so uh, yeah, what do you think I should do with this licensing? And then he said, well, I guess licensing could be good if you want like affirmation from your in-group but look, he said, look at all these people. And he gestured at like packed uh, crowd at the last bookstore. And then he said, do you think any of them care that I have an MDiv or ordination or anything? I was like, and he was yeah, like, no, like definitely not. And then he's like, a lot of people don't even know what that is. And then I realized that too, as, as I was, was telling friends outside of church that I was starting this licensing process, they're like they, they had no idea that was a thing. Like pastors get licenses? What does that even mean? It's yeah, a ordination got hired. Yeah, exactly. And so that was like an interesting realization of like, oh, yeah, I think the type of people I want to talk to yeah. don't care. There are so there are people that care, but that's not the people yeah. I'm well, interested in talking to. Well, we've had a few to. people here at Wild Goose that cared about credentials. That was fun. But you know I don't remember. I don't think our conversation at Cameron's thing yesterday. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Listed off his credentials. I'm a this or this or this or this, and it all sounded like the same thing. Yeah, it's interesting how people tie that to identity a lot. Where it's like, "Hey, nice to meet you. Who are you?" List of credentials. Yeah, <laughs> not to toot your horn, but I do think it's pretty revolutionary that you don't have any type of degrees. <laughs> yeah, should that be my shtick? Well, I mean, because maybe this is just like my own. I'm like mirroring or per- what I'm projecting. Sure. But I'm pretty smart. I mean, I'm pretty smart. But that's pretty much only because as a kid, I read way too many books for my own good. And I read way too fast. Like, I skipped too many levels. Like, an eighth grader should not be reading Machiavelli's The Prince and figuring out how to run a country. I have my (laughs) whole dictator plan all set up. Yeah, I ever since I was a kid, I have my torture tactics. I have the whole nine yards, right? I figured that out real early on. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when when i was uh evangelical sometimes people didn't like me learning things and yeah. one guy said that damon's too smart for his own good and i felt like well that's like a control tactic yeah. that's culty I'm too but smart what you just said right yeah. now yeah that's you a good description punched. actually okay. that's, that's definitely too smart for your own good yeah, you're a yeah. child and know how to strategize a dictatorship <laughs> yeah i was really passionate about it which is funny because i was also really nice <laughs> you're a nice dictator I, 
yeah i like my whole plan was to be really nice but i say all that um to say that i often feel like people don't take me seriously because i don't have degrees in the things that i'm interested in talking about Mm -hmm. not that i care i mean that's my own burden or my own ego or whatever but i'm wondering for you is that the same like do you do you care um I'm asking you really personal questions. No, this is good. This is the Speaking in Church podcast. Yeah, I'm. I go to a lot of therapy, so I get real deep. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, I do care, but I think my like healthier, wiser self says not to. So, okay, so like all that. my good. yeah, my caring does not, not come from my smarter great. self at all. Okay, my good. caring comes from my insecurities and yeah. uh, low confidence and all that, and it's. It's really like, I don't know. What's funny too is I think I often imagine more people caring about it than there actually is. Mm. And then, and then I end up forgetting like someone right when I started promoting the book and said, um, here's the cover reveal. It's available for order. It's a great cover by the way. It's like, it's pretty effective. They're great. Um, But right after that, a stranger DM'd me on Twitter and he said, oh, also the book is in the Amazon category for Christian liberation theology and ended up through pre-orders, uh, like right when I put it up, got the number one new release uh, in Christian liberation theology, which has that little badge, which looks cool. It makes it look so much more legit. But there's like little competition, like the the other ones that were <laughs> up there weren't even liberation theology like at all. And I was like, they just accidentally got into that genre. So it's I mean, like, it is pretty liberation. I still, I still posted it and said, I got number one. <laughs> so bragged about it. Man. <laughs> I, of course. And so, so I posted that. And then um, that's when the stranger DM'd me and just said, hey, uh, I went to uh, this seminary with, um, I think he said a mutual virus, but then he's like, I was just one wondering. Uh, oh, he's like, I'm looking forward to your book. I really love liberation theology, and I was wondering where you got your um, degree or something like that. And I immediately felt like oh. panicky of like, what is this guy really wanting yeah. to know? And whether you went to Fuller or to Talbot, that's what he wanted to know. Exactly. <laughs> it, it felt like it was like a challenge a bit. But then I just said, uh, I didn't go to. Uh, college or any of that i learned liberation theology on my own and reading that even while i was i was doing like like yeah like a little bit of bible college but back then i was reading that stuff too and then it was just uh he didn't even open the message <laughs> i think he just didn't care that's my point as i am i thought he would care but now i really he probably it probably was just a genuine question he wasn't he challenging was like, oh, me he was just yeah. like oh, okay saw it saw the messages through his notifications like yeah okay cool and I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like this. See these scenarios I imagine where someone hits me up and be like, "I can't believe you're yeah. promoting a book and you don't have an MDiv." That's pretty sure that's all in my head. Maybe those people are out there, but yeah, fuck them. Yeah. I do think though, like, wow, what a testament to liberation theology that you can write about liberation. That's theology. just funny too. Is if anybody says. How can you write liberation theology without a degree that you paid bitch. hundreds of thousands of dollars for? It's like, okay. It really sets you back. Let me I tell don't you. Think I, so. I got a lot of student loans and I got like the maximum oh, yeah. financial aid, full ride, like the whole nine yards. I still walked away with $50,000 in 
student debt. Yeah. But I married a white guy, so reparations. He's going to pay for it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Isn't it funny like it how there's like people out there who grow up with family who just like has money? Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, I need I'll to go to college. college. Let me ask my uncle or my, my yeah. grandfather. And like, oh, yeah, here's here's all the money for college. Or or like, yep. oh, I got in a car wreck. I can't yep. pay for it. Or I'll just ask my uh, dad or my uncle. Yep. I can't imagine that life at all. I can't. I recently had a family member tell me, oh, yeah, you're in my will. And I was like, me? <laughs> I'm going to get something. My parents. Well? My own parents recently told me that. And I was actually surprised. I'm the youngest child. My dad said he's going to give us everything. Like, really? But he has a lot of debt and a house. So I get the house. Yeah, that was my other thought. Was like, <laughs> you have something to give me? <laughs> yeah, with our own parents. <laughs> <laughs> I know. my So... This is actually a conversation I have a lot with my partner because he grew up. His dad is rich as hell. Like, can just buy a million dollar house. Oh my if god! If he wants, and it, I have a lot of feelings about it, um, especially having both of his children in my house and teaching them how to live normal lives because they don't know how to. They're boys, so you know they, they're like the right. classic, leave their shoes on the fucking floor like they play Fortnite. Animals. No, they play other games. Roblox. Although, Minecraft. this is an argument in our house, actually. Is that, this is a really funny story. Um, I said it's funny, so it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, my brother-in-law has autism, so he plays a lot of video games. Great. But I tell Ryan, my partner, I don't like it when you play video games for a long time because I find it incredibly unattractive. So, he doesn't play video games anymore because he wants to be really attractive to me. Which I think is so cute. But also, I play a lot of Sims. I play hours and hours of Sims <laughs> every day. Yeah, you're living out that dictator <laughs> life that you always dreamed of. Uh, yeah, and my brother-in-law will be like, you play The Sims all day. Like, not, like, harassing me or anything. He's just as confused as somebody with autism. I was like, Steven, I know I'm a hypocrite. I know that I'm wrong in this. But also, I know I can never be unattractive to Ryan, so I can do whatever the fuck I want. Liberation. That's liberation. liberation theology right there. That's good. That's really <laughs> I good. don't know how we got to my story. Uh, but anyways, okay. let's go back to it you. It's not about me. This is about you. It's about us. What is the most important part of liberation theology to you? Oh, snap. <laughs> that was a good one. Good job, Jesse. Well, uh, I think the reason a lot of people are attracted to it, I think it was one of the things that attracted me, is the the, the like, central slogan at this uh conference in medellin and latin america in uh, the late 60s like yeah let me say that too for those that don't know um vatican II happened my uh great my great uncle doesn't want to admit it he still doesn't talk to us protestants because he's catholic and i want to tell him like you're okay. catholic look at vatican II. it happened my I don't think he even knew it. that Catholics are devil worshippers. I don't even think so. he's rejecting it. I think he just didn't know it happened. So he just missed it. Yeah. But um Sounds but anyway, right. Vatican II, a lot of changes were made, but so all over the world there were conferences of Catholic bishops who are were talking about changes that they would consider making, but mostly in response to like modernism and pluralism. But the conferences of bishops in Latin America, their context that they wanted to respond to was poverty and exploitation. Mm. And so that was the questions they're asking. How do we make changes in response to that? And that's when they started talking about a liberation theology. And there was this phrase from Catholic social teaching about God as a preferential option for the poor. God mm. prefers to opt 
for the poor. God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed. And they felt like, yeah, this is this is what we should be centering now. Mm. So there was always um, Catholic social teaching. But the difference in the way that liberation theologians talked about the poor was it wasn't saying that the poor should be our object of charity. We just need to give more money to the poor. Rather, it was saying the poor, we need to support the poor as they take power from those who have the power to make them poor. Yep. That's that's the real issue. It's mm-hmm. we don't need to persuade the powerful to treat us better. Yep. We need to redistribute that power. And so that's that's like a key difference because when some people think about liberation theology is like, yeah, we should we should be giving more to the poor people and we should, but that always runs out eventually. We need to yeah. restructure the entire economic system so that people have what they need yeah that's interesting because i recently was in the car with my mom and my cousin my cousin is living with me she's from mexico so teaching her all about american culture and social justice because i don't care what anybody says mexicans are really racist and they're really like not into poor people even if they're poor it's like a really rough situation do you have have, know any mexicans you refer to mexican mexicans yeah. Or Mexico Mexicans. Yeah, I'm not Mexican enough and I get really upset. But they're, but they're, that that's usually like, yeah, that racist, classist yeah. thing of like, yeah, Mexican, yeah. but I'm not like those Mexican Mexicans. My mom is very much like that, which is funny because my family lived in a village with like dirt roads. So I'm just like, bitch, where do you think you come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we were talking and we were in downtown LA and my cousin's like, there's so many homeless people. You don't see this many homeless people in Mexico and all this stuff. And she's like, why are they like, why is there so many? And my mom like started rattling off all these things, right? Like mental illness, drugs, all the stuff, all the normal stuff. And I was like, no, the government. That's why they're there. That's why there's homeless people. It's because of the government. And she could not wrap her mind around the fact that the government has to do something about this. Like there has to be institutional change. And she's like, no, but you can just the church should do something about it. And I was like, well, yes. And it's but she doesn't like. People don't tend to understand that the system is what needs to be changed in order for us to not be poor anymore. I, you can marry as many rich white guys as you want, but there's not enough of them to go around, you know? Like, right. you need to create the change. This is why I like liberation theology. It's radical, like me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Liberation theology is probably why I'm still a Christian. Amen. I would have given yeah. it all up. I think if I didn't discover that, because yeah, it kept it way more exciting than I'd ever experienced. Well, and evangelical Christianity just seems to be all about the money. Yeah. But like hoarding the money in the building. Definitely. And they were, shout out to Creatures and Sneakers. I really love that account. I love seeing, the other day, um, somebody was like with a Louis Vuitton hoodie, and I was like, First of all, it's ugly. So why are you wearing that? And second of all, why are you wearing that at a church event? Like, what happened to modest is hottest? What happened? What happened to that? Well, That's I'm, a talk- good question. I'm talking about modesty, like <laughs> in the in the true biblical sense. It was yeah. a joke. You didn't. You didn't no, laugh. I get it. You didn't laugh. I think I think I'm still traumatized <laughs> by purity culture. I can't <laughs> laugh at that. You're just like, oh my god. I just what think is she I just about? imagine all the people who say that unironically and I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, okay, sorry. I yeah. can't even find it funny. I'm just activating yet. your trauma casually. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. Shouldn't I be the one that's traumatized? You're a boy. Uh, 
Yeah, there's a lot. We Nobody can talk told about. you to be there's modest. Did they? Well, yeah, dressing modesty is one thing, and then there's all the other behaviors and all that. that Do they actually tell you to be modest in any other way? Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was an environment where it was like you went to the a guys. Church. The guys are like monsters. Girls are good, and gr- girls stay away from all these monsters. And the youth group were just like nervous versions that <laughs> I've barely talked to any girls. Before. There's no such thing as virgins. Interesting. They just hadn't made their sexual debut. <laughs> right. As they say. Sorry. I'm just I'm it definitely a very was controversial a, a very weird experience hooking up with a girl while she was wearing a purity ring. Holy shit. Nice key. We what? Got, we got through it. <laughs> well, we got through it. We completed the task. Yeah, just no we just never mentioned it. I never had a purity ring. And it wasn't for any other reason than I think I was just too poor. Which is funny because now that I'm an adult, sterling silver rings are not that expensive. And I was like, damn, I was really poor. <laughs> you didn't uh, go to events where they're selling the rings? No, Did I grew you? up in a Latin church. They Do you think that these white-ass institutions had Spanish versions of their weird-ass things? <laughs> no. Yeah, where, where I live, there's there's this thing called silver ring thing. Silver and, ring thing? That's yeah, so funny. silver ring thing. And what they would do, they would like go on tour to like different spots but when they would hit a spot they would get multiple youth groups in the city to all just converge at that one event and uh i think i went to one maybe two but i think i was in like 10 ninth or 10th grade when i went to one and got a ring but um i think they just had to sign a piece of paper like a little pledge but yeah. no i didn't get a ring i love rings yeah but i was, I, w- I bought it for cheap but but eventually, I felt like every day I'm just looking down at my hand as a reminder. That you're like, a sinner? Well, it's like it's supposed to be like don't have sex. But to me, it was just a reminder of sex. So I'm like, uh, I, how am I not supposed to think about sex when I have this ring reminding me about, about sex, sex all the time? <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't work out. I mean, aren't we all past purity culture at this point? Are they still yeah. doing those like true love weights things? Yeah. Have you seen, oh my gosh, have you seen, I think the New Yorker did an article on it, not to be that liberal elite, but <laughs> but these girls would do like a debutante ball where they would play, like wear white dresses, like a communion looking dress, and it was like a father-daughter dance, but they would pledge their virginity to their dad. Oh, man. In like a ball. Mm-hmm. I'm really traumatized by that. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. And those things are still happening, actually. Yeah. Are you uncomfortable right now? No, I'm just imagining how how uncomfortable everyone would be in that room. I mean, I feel like they're into it if they keep doing it. I feel like they're really... There's something weird going on there. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think is the most important mission for liberation theology as of this moment? Oh, snap. Yeah, I... I'm an idiot, but I'm smart. <laughs> uh, I would say um, finding the organizations in your city and in your community that are already doing important work to serve people in the community, mutual aid networks, um, provide resources. And I think they need to find out who they are, get in touch with the leaders, Find out as much as you can about them and see how they can 
help those organizations. Because I think we often see a lot of Christian pastors find out about a need for their community and then immediately be like, so we're going to start a program with like no knowledge of the way that that program could be the best it could be and no knowledge of other people doing it. Um, yeah, I think I would just like to see churches start less things and join the, the orgs that are already in their community. I like that. So I think that's important. I think that's kind of the next step once you like get into liberation theology, realize God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed and we need to, we need to be too. I think that's the next step. Yeah, I like that. I cannot see you. How much time do we have left? Great. Another hard hitter. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm, I'm not waiting. used to doing podcasting. I usually do podcasting over Zoom because, you know, the pandemic, and I don't really want people in my house. Right. That's not true. I love having people in my house. I so just feel I'm, like any question can come. So you're looking at me in like any a, question from like any topic. You're looking me in the <laughs> eye, and it's making me really uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, I'll look at I'll look at Cameron. Hi, Cameron. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so back to liberation theology. When you were writing your book, what was the first thing that popped in your mind? Like, what was the first Ooh. thing you wrote down? Ooh. This is actually just a for me question because I'm always curious for other writers how they write. Like, did you write the yeah. intro first or did you write a chapter about the thing you were most interested in first? I think one of the... It's hard because I, I combined different ideas I had that I was already like kind of writing a bit. Um, but. I think the most significant first thing I wrote was um, I, I was thinking about how a lot of, I know a lot of Christians who have conversations about con contemplation, meditation, um, mindfulness, and the inner life. And then they also have conversations about justice, the outer work, liberation. But those conversations like rarely transition into each other smoothly. Mm. And they even have like totally different language often. And so I remember thinking there, I was sitting there thinking, uh, I want to be able to help people articulate a connection between those two conversations. And the first thing that came to mind was vulnerability. Like I feel like the inner life is often trying to listen to the vulnerable parts of yourself and realizing that God speaks through the vulnerable parts of myself mm -hmm. that I try to avoid. And in the same way, in our communities, we must listen to those who are the most vulnerable. And God speaks through those who are the most vulnerable. Like I mm -hmm. think of Jesus saying, uh, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so it's often, and yeah, we live in a society that constantly pressures us to ignore the vulnerable parts of ourselves, the weak parts of ourselves, the limited parts of ourselves. But I think we're called to realize that that's where our liberation begins is by mm. going to the vulnerable, going to those, the powerless, those who experience the constraints of this kind of society the most and listening to them and listening to those parts of yourself to see where to go from here. And so, yeah, that was that was the first thing. And then it just fleshed out into like all the implications of that mm -hmm. is what the book is, basically. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting as you're talking, I like just imagine we run with a pretty liberation minded group of folks, especially here at Wildgood. At least I hope so. I'm just gonna like side eye all these friends over here. Um, 
and like hearing what you write about and our friend Cameron over here, like the cognitive stuff and Mason's embodiment thesis or whatever he's writing about, it all seems to like flow together. And the only thing that comes to mind when all of you guys are talking about is like, yeah, we all do need to go to therapy. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think that? Well, because you're talking about the vulnerable parts of you. Yeah. You have to learn how to handle the vulnerable parts of you. Yeah. And therapy is really good for that. Yeah, I feel like some people could get into liberation and thinking about vulnerable people who need our help the most who also avoid the vulnerable parts of of themselves. Yeah. It's like, I'm just trying to still run away from what's going on inside and do more and more and more on the outside. But I think it's like an important part of liberation, of liberating yourself. Like, if you can't deal with who you are as a person and you're constantly trying to externalize everything, where is your faith? I mean, sure, it can exist in other people, but if it doesn't exist in you, you know, mm-hmm. it's just me. I'm just trying to get everybody to go to therapy constantly. Do you go to therapy? Yeah. How often? Uh, once a week. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I just started, though, our, uh, in, uh, like a few months back. I did a little bit in 2019, and then I was pretty good. And then, uh, yeah, after the book, I was really burnt out. Do you um, find that it helps with so your I, faith? I needed it. Even if it's, yeah. I mean, not that it's faith-based, but. Yeah, it's not faith-based, but. Yeah, because I think we're able to, like, talk about the things I'm thinking through and feeling through. When I think a lot of friends, when I would share the same things, they either wouldn't know how to respond or they would just, like, Oh yeah, I've experienced that too. Let me tell you the story of my personal life. And I wasn't even done talking, which is fine. That's how people are. We're talking, we're friends, we're Mm -hmm. conversing. It's okay. But it's cool to have someone that lets me just flesh it out. No, it it lets me finish (laughs) a story. (laughs) Basically. Especially around Mexicans. Mexicans hardly let you finish a story. Don't talk to me like that. What the hell? Josie hardly lets you finish a story. What the hell? I mean... Yeah. I'm really interesting. I have a lot of interest. I want to. I have the same. <laughs> Halfway through everyone's story. Oh, I have a way better story than this. Have, Let me. Everyone's going to appreciate me interrupting. <laughs> no, we love Josie's story. I get called out. These guys are stuck on a lot of my stories from when I was very drunk last night. <laughs> my frog song. If you are listening to this podcast and you know the frog song in Spanish, let me know. It's a VBS song. It's about a frog swimming in a river in his green swimsuit, but he's probably not wearing a swimsuit because he's a frog. And his mom told him that Jesus loves him. That's the whole song. That's good. You were there. Preach. That's good. That's a good word. That's a good word. Preach. Okay. <laughs> I do have to preach one of these Sundays, but anyways. Yeah. I'm kind of done with this conversation, so. Yeah, we're wrapping up. Someone else is gonna use this space. Plug your stuff. My, yeah, my name is Damon Garcia. I, I'm I'm on DamonGarcia.com, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Who Is Damon. DamonGarcia.com. So wow. Yeah. Get fancy. And I just wrote a book called The God Who Riots: Taking Back the Radical Jesus. Are you uh, taking pre-orders still? Yeah, you can pre-order it anywhere, which is also cool about traditional publishing. Pre-order um, it because that's good for numbers. It's good for metrics, everybody. Yeah, it helps more people find it, and so it's on. Yeah. Everywhere it's to be available through Broadleaf Books. August twenty third is when it comes out. But here at Wild Goose, we got uh, some copies early, and so it's actually also in the bookstore. So 
You can check it out over there Exclusive. or pre-order it or, or buy it here and pre-order it. Yeah. You know. Oh, greedy. Greedy, greedy. Yeah, thanks for having me, Josie. Christmas is around the corner. The Episcopalians were having Christmas last night or yesterday. I saw that. Yes, thanks for being here. Um, I tend to really tease all the men that come on the show. I'm so sorry. Oh, I feel like you were holding back. I was, I was holding. I was more. really holding back. <laughs> we have I'm an so audience. glad you noticed. I'm so, I know every time I said a curse word, I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> it's okay. Thank you so much, everybody. Damon. Thank you, Josie. Speaking of church.
This has been an irreverent media podcast.